This is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast. The Modern Architect features one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. Our show informs and illuminates the transformation that architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. And now, introducing the host of The Modern Architect, Tom Dioro. Our guest today, we're honored to have, is Alvin Wang, architect and NOMA member. Alvin is a Los Angeles-based architect with a global profile. He's an award-winning architect, designer, and educator who explores the intersections between technology and culture to produce innovative design work that challenges convention and expresses universal values. He's also the founder and principal of Synthesis Design and Architecture and an associate professor at the University of Southern California, where he's also the director of graduate and post-professional architecture. Prior to establishing SDA, Alvin gained significant experience working in the offices of Zaha Hadid Architects, Future Systems, and ACOM. He received a Master of Architecture from the Graduate Design Research Laboratory at the Architectural Association in London and a Bachelor of Arts from the USC School of Architecture in Los Angeles. For more information, feel free to visit his website at synthesis-dna.com. Again, synthesis-dna.com. Today's episode is made possible by Swatchbox, the leading sample platform for architects and designers. Swatchbox brings thousands of product samples from the world's leading manufacturers into one platform. Browse materials for inspiration, create custom collections, then request your samples for free with automatic next day or second day shipping. Get started at Swatchbox.com. Alvin, we're really honored to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. Excited to talk to you as well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Alvin, you know, I'm curious the name Synthesis DNA. How did you uh, arrive at that? It took a lot of thought, to be honest. Um, when I started my practice uh, in 2000, uh, at that time it was 2011, um, I was uh, thinking about how to name the practice and really just thinking about it a lot. And I think one of the things that struck me was that um, I had worked previously for um Zaha Hadid Architects and then I moved to Future Systems Architects afterwards and then while I was at Future Systems it transitioned into uh becoming Amanda Levite Architects where one of the principals the two principals split and left the name Future Systems and one of the principals uh changed the name to her name and appointed me a director of, of ALA Amanda Levite Architects and I remember one of the things that uh, I personally uh, remember feeling at that time was that I actually felt more agency and more ownership of the firm when it was Future Systems versus when it was ALA, even though I was now a director of ALA. Um, and simply, obviously, my role increased, but let's say the kind of uh, belonging to an organization that had somebody else's name on it made it still even though i was a director in that organization made me feel like um it was still someone else's name and so when it came time to start my own firm i wanted to make sure that uh, uh one of the things i feel very strongly about is about studio culture and, and practice culture and, and getting buy-in and ownership from a collective to produce great design work and the best 
design projects I've been involved in have all happened when we've had the best uh, studio culture and, and kind of uh, commitment collectively. And I think that was something that was important to me when choosing a name that wasn't my name. Um, and then the name synthesis, uh, the DNA is design and architecture. So it's actually not, you know, the, the scientific term. But the um, the SDA synthesis design and architecture uh, was, I wanted a, a single word, but one that could be converted into an acronym later. Um, and so I was very uh, interested in like, uh, one of my mentors, Tom Main, and, and what he did with Morphosis and, you know, that kind of single word name. But uh, at that time was also chasing a lot of work in China. And uh, my father told me you know, in China, they don't know the word synthesis and it won't mean anything and they'll forget it and they'll mispronounce it. But if you have an acronym, nobody knows who Chinese people don't care who Skidmore Owings or Merrill are, but they all know SOM. And they can pronounce letters. And so synthesis as the word is meaning something that is what I believe firmly about in architecture, which is the coming together of a lot of parts, whether those are conceptual parts or the or physical parts. Um, or ideological parts into one coherent whole thing um, is really what I feel architecture is. And that was the singular word. And then design and architecture was the opportunity to convert it into an acronym, SDA. Excellent. Now, agency, share with us a bit about agency and why that really mattered so much to you. Well, I think agency is something that uh, is really, really important in design, not only from the culture of an office, but the sort of intentions of a project and the kind of authorship of the architect um, in terms of not only having the ability to work on something, but the, let's say, ability to feel ownership and to, uh, with that ownership comes an obligation and, and uh, an intentionality in terms of, let's say, one of the things I'm really been chewing on a lot lately, um, particularly my role as the Director of Graduate Architecture at USC, is defining architecture as the materialization and interrogation of our value systems into the built environment. And when we have agency, then we can really think about our value systems and what we value and what our clients value and what our stakeholders value and what the communities that we are building within value and how we can put those things into material form to really influence the built environment and represent the built environment as something that actually exhibits the qualities and expresses the things that we value. How have, is there a formal process that you have or even a, a mental one to, to, that takes the values and turns them into something tangible? Um, I wouldn't say there is a system or a rule of thumb or a kind of formula for that in, on my end. I think it's more of a constant interrogation about, you know, what those values are. I think one of the things that is important to me is an assessment of a question, like a, a kind of driving question that will motivate every project in terms of, you know, um, I think one of the most important things I, I 
like to say is that the uh, client will provide the generic question or the generic problem. And then my job is to find the specific question within that. Right. And so the more generic question might be, I need an office building of X thousand square feet that has this many rooms and has this many, this much conference space and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And my job then is to interrogate that client to really try to understand what are the values that they represent, not only as an outward facing organization to the general public, but as an inward facing uh, institution that has to deal with certain ways of working and, and that those types of things allow me to ask questions that might say, well, is this enough? You know, can we design an office building that is, uh, let's say, more like a landscape or more like a, uh, a, a series of gardens or whatever it is. I'm just kind of randomly coming, coming up with things, but you know, I'm randomly coming up with things that we've used in previous projects, but that essentially that there is ways to reframe the question to be more specific and let's say specific to a particular client or specific to a particular site or specific to a particular uh, context and, and, and context i think is an important one to think of that is not only physical but is also political economical um uh and, and reaction to you know the, the the context of the world that we live in wow listening to the modern architect podcast at KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Alvin Huang, architect, founder, and principal of Synthesis Design and Architecture, and an associate professor at the University of Southern California, where he's also director of graduate and post-professional architecture. For more information, feel free to visit the website of synthesis-dna.com. Again, synthesis-dna.com. Alvin, I was asking, how do you, uh, again, to get the that capture the essence of what the owner or your client is looking for? Well, I think one of the things that um, has come up repeatedly for us and maybe has become the sort of topology that we specialize in, um, we're a firm that, unlike others, almost every time we do a project, it seems to be the first we do of that type. Um, we uh, have done retail projects, uh, hospitality projects, uh, um, civic projects, public art, uh, commercial projects, um, cultural projects. Um, and we don't have a kind of deep reservoir of specialization in one single project type, um, meaning we don't have, you know, which is a problem for us with RFIs and, or not RFIs, RFQs and RFPs, where oftentimes, you know, the first question is, you know, how many of these have you designed and built in the last three years on time and on budget? And our answer is usually zero. Um, but what we consistently do is we get hired by uh, clients who have a brand or an identity um, for an organization or, or a company um that they're trying to rethink and that they allow us to be part of that rethinking process in terms of trying to re-identify what that brand is um and how it wants to be 
represented in the physical world and, and what that representation communicates to the rest of the world and what that communicates to the people that are occupying that space and using that space. And so maybe a, as a recent example, I was saying just completed uh, a couple of years ago, a uh, office space for a uh, pediatric uh, neurologist in Orange County. And uh, she's a doctor who had an existing practice and wanted to get out of something that was a very conventional um, medical office and something that I would say all of us are very familiar with in terms of, you know, what the typical dentist office, you know, small, small clinic looks like and reception desk in the front and a, you know, very kind of almost domestic like uh, reception area. And then a corridor, a double loaded corridor with, uh, you know, exam rooms on either side and very much a kind of bottleneck condition of moving in and out. And, uh, we redesigned it to begin thinking about her practice as something that was a little bit more lounge like rather than um, uh, clinical, um, but also that uh, really played with three things. It was geometry, color and texture in the way things were uh, materialized as those are the three stimuli, tactile stimuli that really can connect with children who suffer from neurological disorders. And so what we wanted to do was make the space a place that um, when the children came there, it wasn't just the utility of the visit in terms of what they got out of the doctor, but it was also something that they were able to enjoy the space as children climb. The, the, we, we did a bunch of built-in seating that was uh, folded geometries with uh, acoustic felt with CNC mill patterns that was very tactile that the children could climb that they could lounge in that they could sit in um we had a uh sort of lounge reception so now the bulk of the footprint is actually the waiting area which we don't call a waiting area we call a lounge and there's a, a corridor in the back which would be for the doctors and her staff to access the exam rooms which are sandwiched between that waiting area and that corridor and what that then did is it allowed the doctors to move back and forth from exam room to exam room in privacy. And essentially we have two circulations, the lounge area circulation for the clients and the patients, and then a more utilitarian corridor in the back for the doctors, which meant there was no longer the bottleneck that people could move in and out of those exam rooms uh, at will without uh, clogging up that corridor. But then it also meant that the doctors can move from exam room to exam room without getting flagged down by people waiting in exam rooms that would see them passing by in that corridor. And so there was a sort of double purpose of, let's say, identifying the sort of essence of, of what that doctor was doing and how it could address the needs of her clients and her patients, but also how we could streamline and make their own internal processes more efficient and more effective. That brand and identity, I heard that a couple of times from you. Your, your your website, I brought this up, I brought this up, I'm noticing is that it's, it's like you're a brand as well, even though obviously you're an architecture mm -hmm. firm, and I don't think a lot of architecture firms think of themselves as a brand. Um, what's your thoughts on that? 
Um, I guess that is one thing that is um, important to me is that I, I think, you know, as a design firm that, you know, has a particular niche, I think one of the things that I've thought about a lot, particularly as it relates to my own work, but also my, my academic profile as well has been about um, maybe brand is one way to look at it, but another is profile in terms of like, what makes you stand out and what makes, why would people choose you over other people that do the same thing that you do? And I think that's one thing I try to convey um, as a firm, but also as an academic that has a research profile. Um, one of the things that I always talk about is if my, a lot of my academic interests uh, historically have related towards uh, design computation and digital fabrication and a lot of uh, technological um, kind of uh, processes that we use within the office and that we use within the work and that I use within my research. But then when you get to saying that, um, okay, if that's the domain that I work in and I, that's how I define my, myself, what happens when I show up at Acadia? Acadia is the Association of Computer-Aided Design and Architecture at that particular conference. Like there, when I'm in that space, I can't say that I'm the guy that's interested in design computation and digital fabrication anymore because that's the whole room. So how do you carve out a space there that starts to become more specific towards yourself? And I think that's one of the things that um, I like to, to think about as a practitioner is that what I do as a practitioner is a service, um, but it is also a trust me service, not a tell me what to do service, for lack of a better term. And I think uh, that's one of the things that I always try to say is like when I have the first initial sit down with clients, particularly those that are, um, let's say, not as well versed with architectural processes or hiring architects, is that I, I want to make sure they're hiring me for the right reason and that I'm choosing them for the right reason. Like it has to be mutually beneficial. And I don't want them to expect something that they're not going to get. And I don't want to give them something, or, or I don't want to. You know, work with people that I don't, you know, don't align with my own views. And I think one of those things there is beginning to think about, um, like, I always talk to them about the difference between a stylist and a barber. And like a, a barber, you walk into and you sit down and you oftentimes show them a picture and you go, know, this is how I want my haircut. I don't know how to cut it, but you do. This is how I want it. And then the barber will cut your hair. Whereas the stylist, you go in, you sit down and you, you say, well, these are the things I like. I want you to take a look at my hair. And the stylist will say, well, based off of your hair texture and the hair color and the shape of your face, right, the complexion of your skin, things that are trending right now, um, why don't we do this? Or why don't we do that? And, and there is not a, trust me, you're going to, I just do what I want. You have to live with it, but there is a collaborative process of trying to um, move through that space together. And I, I think that's one of the things that's important to me with the brand is that by having a more distinct brand identity, you attract the clients that want what you do more than just so I do anything and everything and 
you can hire me for whatever you want. Um, I think one of the more clever versions I've seen is uh, I'm good friends with uh, the ladies from uh, Design Bitches, and I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah. But they're a great firm here in LA. Um, their, their name, the title of the firm is Design Bitches, Design Comma Bitches, um, which they got that name because they actually entered a uh, competition here in Los Angeles many years ago by uh, the AIA Los Angeles. And I think the title of the competition was like, What is Design or What is Architecture? And their entry was called It's Design, comma, Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that ended up spearheading the, their firm, and they do a lot of uh, funky, very uh, kind of bohemian, um, modernist uh, architecture. Really, really great stuff. A lot of funny graphics, very pop. Um, and what I've found for them is that that name, Design Bitches, helps them filter and identify the right clients automatically right because obviously a name like design bitches turns some people off but with others it might turn them on right i mean it's actually something where they're like oh i, I want to work with somebody that has that spunk or sure. uh, position and so i think the, the branding is about helping you identify yourself so that other people can identify you as somebody that they that aligns with what they're looking for Outstanding. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Alvin Huang, founder and principal of Synthesis Design and Architecture, as well as an associate professor at the University of Southern California. Our public service acknowledgments today are two of them. The first one is Stand with Asians. Stand with Asians was formed in February 2021 during the wave of Asian hate crimes that swept across America. One of the co-founders of Stand With Asians learned that his friend was the victim of a brutal stabbing in Manhattan, Chinatown. Starting with a blog post, friends, allies, and strangers rallied to form the Stand With Asians movement. Less than a month later, on March 26, they launched the March 26 awareness campaign. This volunteer group worked so well together with so little central coordination that they began to think about how to make a long-term impact together for the AAPI community. For more information, feel free to visit StandWithAsians.com. Again, that's StandWithAsians.com. And our second public service acknowledgement is for the Chinese Chamber of Commerce. The Chinese Chamber of Commerce of Los Angeles is an organization that was formed as one of the oldest and the largest business associations in the greater Los Angeles area. It's a uh, 501c6 taxes at nonprofit organization that's been leading and serving business communities since 1955. The uh, Chinese Chamber promotes the interests of their member companies by encouraging trade, business growth, and new opportunities. For more information, feel free to visit their website at lachinesechamber.org. Again, we're talking today with Alvin Huang. Alvin. How, how and why do those uh, organizations matter and mean much to you? Um, well, I'm on the board of directors for the Chinese Chamber of Commerce of Los Angeles, um, and it's a member organization that uh, deals with local small businesses here in Los Angeles that are um, uh, operating within the Chinese American community. Um, I'm Chinese American myself, and it's been a very big, large, well, I'd say historically, it's been a part of my culture that I, I, I probably tried to not uh, 
center myself around. I never wanted to be the Asian architect. I always just wanted to be the architect. Um, but I think uh, more recently, particularly with a lot of the anti-Asian violence that's been happening around the country, um, it's a it's a role that I've started to claim and, and started to uh, you know um, put more towards the center. And then uh, Stand with Asians is an organization that um, I began working, supporting with, in collaboration with the Chinese Chamber. Uh, that was founded by one of my good friends, Mark Young, in San Francisco, and is now a national organization that is uh, hosting a, a series of uh, workshops and um, fundraisers for uh, and micro grants that support uh, Asian American um, nonprofits around the country that are dealing with different ways of addressing the kind of wave of uh, anti-Asian violence that's happening around the country and uh, isn't getting the let's say visibility that we think it deserves excellent alvin if you can go back as far as you can what made you say decide to be an architect or in design um i mean i could you know easily go down the route that most people do which is saying i played a lot with legos when i was a kid which i did um but that really wasn't it um you know, my father has a degree in architecture, which was a big influence. Um, he never practiced architecture. He um, practiced adjacent. And he worked in uh, construction uh, as a general contractor and then later as a uh, real estate developer. And that would be where I got my interest in, I'd say, buildings. And I, I would say I'd make a very clear distinction between an interest in buildings and an interest in architecture. Um, I think the interest in architecture um, happened later, even probably after I graduated with a degree in architecture. Um, when I graduated with the undergrad degree in architecture, which I kind of randomly chose because I knew I liked to design and be creative and didn't know what else to study. Um, so I chose architecture and happened to be quite good at it when I was in school and undergrad and then went down the route of working for you know a, a fairly large uh, corporate firm but i would say it wasn't my interest in architecture architecture i think really blossomed when i got my uh, first chance to really be engaged in the design process and something that got built and realizing that the kind of fulfillment and, and uh, satisfaction I got out of that process was extremely high. But I was interested in it in a way that, let's say, I was interested in that fulfillment and satisfaction of what that process did, but maybe not so much in the product that I had just produced. Right? Like it was um, not a knock on traditional corporate architecture. But me realizing at that time that I had an interest in, in working on things that were a bit more progressive and more avant-garde and that I would say the thing that I feel like distinguishes buildings from architecture are their relationship to the discipline. And when I say relationship to the discipline, I mean that each project has the potential or the opportunity to participate in a larger conversation about a larger discourse about what architecture is and what architecture has been and what architecture will be. 
much the way art does. And I, I think buildings all require that things are technically sound, that they're produced professionally, that they meet code, that they have structural requirements, that they have ADA requirements, all the things that we need to learn and do as architects. But we also know that 85% of the built environment around us is actually not designed by architects. And they have all those same things, right? They, they, they actually meet code, uh, have, are weatherproofed, um, you know, they work. Um, and then I think where what separates architecture from building is when they start to engage that disciplinary history and that disciplinary um, future in terms of uh, their relationship to the field of architecture. And, and I would say that that's in some ways maybe a parallel you'd be thinking about the work of uh, Duchamp, the artist. Um, you know, the, the urinals that he placed in galleries by themselves, you can't call art, right? They're, they're just urinals. But the intentionality of placing them in the galleries and the discursive ideas about how they were placed in context to a larger history of contemporary art and the reactions he was intending to provoke from the viewers um, are part of a conversation that make them art where they on themselves are not. And, and I think that's an important part of, of uh, what makes architecture architecture versus buildings is the ability for us as architects, like artists or like filmmakers, to identify how our buildings are designed with intentionality in respect to other conversations within architecture. Alvin, it's been a Real honor and pleasure having you as our guest today. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here. It was terrific. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Alvin. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Alvin Huang, the founder and principal of Synthesis Design and Architecture and an associate professor at the University of Southern California, where he is also the director of graduate and post-professional architecture. For more information, feel free to visit Synthesis hyphen dna.com again that synthesis dash dna.com join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect engineer influencer or civic leader committed to positive sustainable and beautiful cities communities and lives thank you for listening today's episode is made possible by swatchbox the leading sample platform for architects and designers Swatchbox brings thousands of product samples from the world's leading manufacturers into one platform. Browse materials for inspiration, create custom collections, then request your samples for free with automatic next day or second day shipping. Get started at Swatchbox.com.